Welcome to Vision on EdTech, a podcast with the goal of reframing the way we think about incorporating technology in the classroom. This is part of a series that focuses specifically on the use of video. How is it used? Why is it used? And can we use it better? I think so. My name is Mike, and I'm a video producer turned EdTech enthusiast, and I think that video is an underutilized and underappreciated resource in pedagogy, and I have uncovered a lot of research that backs up my theory that it is an incredibly powerful tool. There are affordances of video that other tech simply does not have. So I figured, hey, don't take my word for it. Let me get a few experts in, interview them, and get their perspective too. But... This is episode one, so no experts today. Just me, baby. Just me. That's right. This is episode one of my podcast for educators, and I wanted to fill y'all in on where this project stems from. A little bit about my background, some of my prior research, and what has led me here. As we know, a student's prior knowledge is super important to the learning process. First off, Engaging with the student's prior knowledge will help them build real-world connections with new material. It helps them build cognitive frameworks to interpret new information and retain knowledge. Not only does it foster critical thinking, but it also builds confidence and helps students and teachers connect. So, let's you and I connect, shall we? Podcaster and listener, as I map out my path from video producer to edtech student and educator— And before anyone chimes in in the comments section, yes, I am quite aware of the irony of using an audio-based medium to focus on video and rave about the merits of using it in the classroom, so let's just uh, move forward, shall we? So let's dive in. I hated school growing up. Now, I know I'm not alone in that, I'm not special, Um, but I mean, I, I really hated it. I was a poor student... I didn't do my homework, I found it extremely difficult to pay attention in class, and I was constantly skating by, just eking out a passing grade. And when I graduated high school in 2004, I couldn't be happier. I was ready to give college the, you know, good old college try, but I had never had any confidence that I would make it through a four-year program. I was wrong, though. In, In college, I thrived. I became a model student, and I could attribute that to two things. First off, the pedagogy of college was different. It was learner-based. The onus of learning was on the student. For the most part, we picked the classes we were interested in learning, and when it came to instruction and assessment, we weren't just listening to teachers talk and writing papers. I mean, there was a little bit of that, sure, but... There were projects, there were real-world implications to what we were learning, and I hadn't had that in grade school. The second reason I feel like I thrived in college was because I found my passion. Video. I majored in new media, and I focused a lot of my academic career on learning all I could about the art and skills of video production. Classes, internships, and even using video in non-video-based classes. It, It was great. This love of video turned into the focus of my career. Since graduating in 2008, I worked as a video producer, and I was happy to finally be done with school. I had my bachelor's degree, and I had my career, and I could close the door on academia never to look back. Fast forward to, that's a video pun, you see what I did there, 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic forced everyone to go inside and close their doors. 
it quickly became evident that my expertise in video was an incredibly valuable commodity in this time. I did a lot of work training community members and connecting with others via video, and my organization, North Shore TV, partnered with Northwell Help to keep their ongoing coverage of the pandemic streaming to the world and news organizations. We made the seamless switch to remote press conferences possible and were even able to broadcast the administering of the first vaccine to the then governor of New York. It felt amazing. Video was essential. It was not just for entertainment. We worked a lot during that year to make what what once would have been in-person to remote and have the same or greater impact. My colleagues and I realized that this remote model wasn't going anywhere, even after the pandemic would ultimately end. Now that the world was open to the idea of connecting with video, if not entirely by their choice, people started realizing how powerful video conferencing could be. One area of remote connecting that seemed to be having some trouble was school. The media was sensationalizing this idea that remote learning model was hurting students and teachers alike, branding it a failure to the education system in America. I wasn't only hearing this from the news, but first-hand accounts from friends and family that were currently students and teachers, um, and they had a lot to say about the shortcomings of things like Zoom and Google Classroom. I couldn't help but think, why? By the end of the 2020-2021 school year, there was mostly a return to in-person learning, but there was uh, a year full of shutdowns and hybrid experiments, and it was kind of still all over the place. I saw such potential in distance learning, and I wondered why it was being considered a failure. This is the defining moment that made me decide to open up that door to academia after, oh, jeez, 18 years. I hadn't actually said that out loud until now. My bachelor's degree is officially old enough to go to college. Anyway, well, I opened the door to academia once again, and I decided to learn a little bit about educational technology. This was the path I wanted to go down, and I began my pursuit of my master's in a remote learning environment. I had learned a lot, and I learned quickly. The remote environment I was in was even more student-driven than my undergraduate experience, and I quickly learned why as well. I mean, I was in a master's program that was teaching me about technology use and how effective it can be. It was meta. It, It was like realizing the brain named itself. Anyway. With remote learning, I found out that self-pacing helped me work on my own schedule and focus more attention on material that I found challenging. I was able to collaborate with all my peers in a variety of ways, like recorded video and audio, rather than just text. The instruction was uh, delivered in a variety of ways, um, in a variety of media, um, and I could consume this educational content in ways that were comfortable for me. It's important to note that my entire online education experience was asynchronous and very rarely through video conferencing apps like Zoom. Even though I was on an asynchronous model, my success with distance learning only strengthened my desire to figure out why many people seem to have trouble with the distance learning model that was used during the COVID-19 pandemic. So my first major research project as an ed tech student was a two-part documentary entitled How Does Distance Affect Learning? Now, I'll link the full documentary in the description of this podcast, but allow me to summarize it for you here. My research had a few questions I wanted to get more insight on. One, why did schools have such a hard time switching to a distance learning model in the first place? And two, how did distance affect learning in terms of equity, student attitude towards learning, and student performance? 
The following audio clips are from the documentary. They cover issues that schools ran into with the initial shift to a remote learning model. The voices you are about to hear are Nicole Passaretti, instructional coach and New York City public school teacher, Seth Bushing, house principal and technology liaison for New Rochelle High School, and Michelle Cassano, kindergarten teacher for the New York City public school system. We had no digital learning before the pandemic started. So even um, like access technology in my school was really poor. We had probably less than 100 laptops for 1,100 kids before the pandemic. Like we had no technology going on in my school. Um, so once the pandemic started, we switched to digital learning very quickly. Um, we used Google Classroom, and then as the pandemic kind of moved on, we started using um, things like, you know, Pear Deck and Kami and all these other tools that are available to support that systems learning. Uh, it was a bit of the Wild West in the worst of ways. Um, this district had already rolled out Google Classroom. Uh, everybody had Google Classroom already up and running. Um, we're a Google district through and through. Everything is Google Suite. Um, but no one could be compelled to use Google Classroom. Um, we also can't compel any individual teacher to use a certain grade book or any number of things. But particularly when you get into technology, there's a lot of teacher choice, which is great in terms of flexibility and creativity. It's terrible in terms of standardization. And in a distance learning environment is a nightmare for families trying to figure out how to make things work when different teachers are doing things differently from the platform down to the method of delivery of instruction. Um, the biggest challenge I think for me with online learning was that I'm not very, uh, <laughs> I'm not into technology. I kind of stink at it. So um, for me, having to learn, I guess it's not a challenge. I, I, I guess it's more it's better for me. It forced me to learn technology, which I feel like is great. So I, I, I learned how to not only just put a Google Meet up, I learned how to share my screen. I learned how to go onto the internet and grab the foundation interactive tools online and use them for my kids so that they were able to like really see what I would do in the classroom. So the biggest challenge was trying to find the new ways to do what we knew how to do. Really in the spring of 2020, there really wasn't much assessment being done. Um, really, the purpose that we had at that point was just making sure everyone was okay. Like I said, the area that I work in was very hard hit by the pandemic. Um, I work very close to Elmhurst Hospital, so things were really kind of bad over there. Um, so in that spring, it was really just making sure everyone was okay. Um, you know, we did what we could do. We gave, you know, the end of year test. We said you could print it out, you could take pictures, you could do it. Like, we made things very flexible for the students. So as you can tell from the audio clips, there were a few issues that were brought to light, such as the rapid shift left a lot of teachers fending for themselves in a digital space that they had not yet ever occupied. Transitioning their current curriculum and pedagogical practices to the remote model was not so cut and dry. First off, teachers were given no training, while some school districts were already using learning management systems like Google Classroom, they weren't necessarily taught how to use the platform, encouraged to use it correctly, or even required to use it at all. 
This is because teachers are given a lot of autonomy in their classrooms, which is a good thing. But it also means that many were caught off guard when the switch had to happen overnight. This means that the quality of instruction varied greatly from district to district or even teacher to teacher within the same school. The shift to distance learning brought so many challenges to schools across the country and also shed light on a lot of issues within the educational system. Things like unequal access to technology became more apparent and, more than ever, detrimental to students and teachers alike. Not only access to devices, which many schools already provide, but access to the internet is extremely important. As we heard in the audio clips a moment ago, there was limited training made available to educators, which not only was detrimental to the initial sudden shift to the distance model, but would continue to broaden gaps in the quality of instruction from district to district as the pandemic continued. The limited professional development available also made it hard for some educators to keep up with the newer methods of assessment that were necessary in online education. As Nicole mentioned in the audio clip, some teachers just wanted to stick with the old models of assessment until the return to the classroom happened. And it wasn't just educators having a hard time. Some of the biggest issues to arise out of the COVID-19 pandemic weren't necessarily curriculum or instructional based. The social and emotional well-being of students has a big effect on learning, and whether we tend to think about it or not, schools take a large part in the care of the students' mental health. This obligation took a back seat, and the effects could be seen on student motivation and engagement. There were a lot of hurdles schools had to go through to get the distance learning model running more efficiently. The full two-part documentary is linked in the description of this podcast. I set out to find out how distance affects learning, and the data that I gathered, while interesting, didn't give me any definitive answers. So I continued my research in the form of a paper entitled The Effectiveness of Live and Pre-Recorded Video in Hybrid and Remote Learning Environments. Distance education is no new concept. Heck, according to Wikipedia, there's been attempts at distance learning as early as 1728 through the mail. So I knew that even if the shift en masse for the entire nation caused problems, that there is definitely a level of success for distance learning overall, and I wanted to de delve into how the tech of video played a role in disrupting distance learning and elevating it. I mean, they didn't have video in 1728. So first, I defined what I meant by hybrid and remote learning environments. There are a few different models of distance learning, and each course might fit into one or take aspects from a few, so let's break it down here as well. First off, we have synchronous learning versus asynchronous learning. In a synchronous learning environment, all students and educators participate at the same time. This is a model that you might consider like a traditional classroom. There is a meeting time and everyone logs in. If you're remote, then you might be on Zoom or Google Classroom. Then there's asynchronous. In this model, there is not a standard meeting time. And all the work is assigned to the learner, and the learner has the ability to self-pace and do the work on their own schedule. Then we have the hybrid model versus the full remote model. In a remote model, all students engage with the course material from a distance, and nobody meets in person. 
Hybrid, on the other hand, uh, this could have a few definitions. In a hybrid model, you may have some students meet in person while others meet online simultaneously in a synchronous time frame. In-person students and remote students learn at the same time. Alternatively, the hybrid model might refer to a system where some days all students are fully remote and other days all students are fully in person. Now with this hybrid model, you might have some synchronous learning days and some asynchronous learning days. See what I meant? That they might have little bits of each going on at the same time. So those hybrid models were adopted in the later part of the pandemic to one, reduce class size, or alternatively have a contingency plan if uh, there was some COVID exposure. Now, is your head spinning from all these definitions? This might be a good time to mention that I also have a transcript of this episode available at michaelraymondpeters.com slash edtech. You can also just read the full research paper if you like. I've linked that in the description as well. Anyhow, in the paper, I broke down the effectiveness of video into two major categories, instruction and assessment. So when it came to instruction... I pointed to the Universal Design for Learning framework and explained how video was an integral part of each pillar. Engagement, representation, and then action and expression. Video is a great way to present authentic learning experiences, provide clear learning goals, self-pace, and offer multimodal information for learners to process. It truly redefines instruction. When framing how effective video is at enhancing assessment, I used Bloom's taxonomy as a framework and pinpointed examples of how students could climb that pyramid with ease. I talk about how the complexities of video editing give students ample opportunities to create visual masterpieces to showcase their understanding. Creating videos is a breeze these days, with the production supercomputers living in our pockets. Using these tools to showcase understanding is a valuable choice to give to students on top of a traditional means of assessment. I also spoke about how live video conferencing can augment the ability to uh, evaluate and debate. Showing a video might be able to help a student visualize how to apply information in a real-world situation, and so on down the line of Bloom's Pyramid. Again, there's a whole paper linked in this description, so go click it. So that brings us here to this wonderful podcast, Vision on EdTech. My goal here is to figure out what affordances of video offers to the classroom that other tech does not. I want to expand on these topics even more and focus on how to build a better learning environment. I believe that video can help do that by enhancing the ways educators educate and the ways students student, I mean, learn. I will begin with four main areas where I believe video excels more than any other tool. As a tool for reflection, as a tool to aid in instruction, as a tool to boost engagement, and as a tool to deepen understanding. I want to expand on the research I've already done and bring in some experts to get their point of view as well. And why a podcast? Well, because I want this to be a resource for educators. I want to use a platform that can be constantly updating, one where we can discuss trends and emerging technologies, and be on the forefront of the benefits they provide. So join me on this journey, won't you? You'll hear about research, 
pedagogical practices, new tools, and ways to create a learning environment where both educators and learners can thrive. Be sure to listen to all the episodes in the series. A transcript of this episode is available at michaelraymondpeters.com slash edtech. And until next time, we'll catch you later.